You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Welcome to the show. It is Thursday, the 15th of December. Still bitterly cold, but very bright here in TW11. I'm afraid I have finally succumbed to the lurgy that is going around. So you will excuse me if I sound full of cold this morning, but in good spirits and in even better spirits that broadcaster Rishi Passad joins me today. However, Rishi, we have to start with what's not happening over the next few days. What's gone? Uh, Ascot's gone, uh, both obviously today and oh, sorry, Friday and Saturday. Uh, Haydock's gone. Uh, Foslas gone. Uh, as we speak, there's still the possibility of Chelmsford going ahead today, although they face a second inspection, or they face an inspection, I think, at 10 a.m. So that gives away the time that this has been recorded. Um, so, unfortunately, no turf racing in Britain this week, but fingers crossed that uh, that might be relieved uh, starting maybe on the weekend into, into Monday. And of course, we are starting to get perilously close to the busy Christmas period. Certainly officials at Kempton will be wanting temperatures to start lifting quite soon, I would have thought. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, it does look slightly brighter next week in terms of temperatures rising. But as you heard from uh, following the story in Ascot, Chris Stickles was saying that even though the forecast was due to rise or the temperature was due to rise uh, up to five degrees, because it's been frozen for such a long period and prolonged period of time, that even the rise in the temperatures didn't mean that the course would thaw out quickly enough. So hopefully the the temperatures will increase soon, which will allow enough time for the racecourses to thaw out and, and the big meetings um, post-Christmas to go ahead. Well, this evening is a, a momentous occasion in, in many respects as Spit Spots run at Chelmsford on the all-weather is the final runner sent out by Chris Wall after a 36-year and very successful training career. And, and Chris joins me now. Chris, I guess uh, the fact that it's minus four and you're still outside supervising the horses tells its tells its own story about about what what it means to be a racehorse trainer yes well you have to do it through thick and thin and through all manner of weathers and uh, this is no different and uh, it might be minus four with you but it's a lot colder than that here it's about minus nine here this morning and and even if it is minus minus four it feels like minus 14 in newmarket we we know that but newmarket's been been your home for for an awful long time just just remind everybody how and where it all started um, well, my father trained a small a string of jumpers, so it started there. That wasn't in Newmarket. That was uh, on the outskirts of Colchester. Uh, but uh, then um, I first came to Newmarket to work in racing in 1979 when I joined Bruce Hobbs um, and uh, and then uh, went from there, really. I had a, a spell uh, in Lambourne with Bar- Barry Hills for three years and then back to Newmarket again in, in uh uh, at the end of 1982, and I've been back here ever since. And what what persuaded you in the first instance to to take the plunge? Was it was it easier to do back then? 
Um, no, it was quite tricky even then. Um, and uh, I was very fortunate when I was um, as assistant to Luca Kamani, uh, one of his um, own big owner, Ivan Allen, who'd had a Comanche run, who'd won the St. Ledger. Um, and uh, he had a team of people and he wanted to have a private trainer for him and his, and his partners. Um, and he offered me the job to be his private trainer. And I thought, well, at the time, I wouldn't have been able to afford to set up in, on my own, but this was a good way in. So I did that. That actually only lasted a year, although he supported us for another year or two after that. So 87 was our first year with the licence. And then in 88, we were we were solo and on our own and, and had to go from there. Um, Luca Kumani is, is not someone who, who suffers people who don't know an awful lot of, about the game gladly. Uh, he managed his relationship with Ivan Allen very well for, for a long time. He wasn't the easiest, was he? No, he was very thorough. I mean, he was a very good trainer in his own right. He was sort of leading trainer in Singapore and Malaya um, uh, in, in his time. And so he was very thorough, a very good judge of a horse. Um, but also he was, he was, I wouldn't say he was demanding, but of course, uh, being a trainer himself, he, he sets very high standards, which was a good thing, really, when you kept me on my toes when we first started. And, and we had to make sure that we were were doing the job properly and and uh, uh, it sort of set us up uh, for what came in the future. So did it give you the confidence to think, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty good at this, I know what I'm doing? Um, yes, I suppose it did. <laughs> uh, I mean, you've got to have a degree of confidence to do the job anyway. Um, and um, uh, it did, I suppose. At least you sort of had the confidence that someone has seen something in you to give you a chance and, and, uh, um, and to help out along the way. So it was... Uh, in a job where you never stop learning, that was that was still you know all part of the learning curve. What's been the most satisfying aspect of being a, a racehorse trainer? Um, well, working with the horses really is the is the most satisfying side of it. Um, and uh, you know they've taken us all around the world. We've had runners in pretty much all the major racing countries, I think, bar for Australia. Um, and uh, um, uh, so we've you know been all over the place, met some fantastic people. It's been a it's been a it's been a good ride, and um, and we've had some fun along the way. Uh, obviously, when somebody of your standing steps down, you know, in any other profession, it wouldn't be particularly unusual. In in horse racing, it, it people sort of read um, degrees of significance into it. Should we read a, a degree of significance into it? Is it a, a barometer of the health of the sport, or do you just feel like not doing it anymore? Uh, no, uh, no, I, I wouldn't know. I know I, I could, I could quite easily carry on. I, I don't, you know, I haven't fallen out of love with it or anything like that. Is it a barometer? I think it, it's, um, it's a sign of the times in that uh, trainers like myself, they're sort of the, the middle. Um, the, the middle-sized trainer has been finding it very difficult to get horses and part of the effect of that, the part of the cause of that has been the lack of a trickle down from the bigger yards. Nowadays, the bigger yards are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, for whatever number of horses they've got in their yard, they've probably got just another the same number out in a pre-training yard somewhere. Um, and whereas back in the day, once those big yards were full, um, uh, people had to look elsewhere to send their horses and so there, there was a trickle-down effect which meant that at least you had sort of heads over doors bums on seats that kept, that kept your numbers up um, but that's not the case now and it's very hard to to uh, to, to keep your numbers up and and uh, so that and that's been our problem is just keeping the 
get you know keeping in the numbers at the at a level that's that makes it financially viable and although we'd had this year we hadn't been too bad we'd had 30 horses which is fine we'd had a good season on the track um but the future was looking a lot a lot bleaker and um uh, and it wasn't just sort of for next year you can always ride out one year it was looking when you had to look further forward you think well where are the horses coming from it didn't look to me like there was any cavalry coming over the horizon to ride to our rescue so uh, i thought you know now would be a good time to to, to stop disappointing though that is but now now would be a good time to, to, to pack it up and when it is in your blood when it's coursing through your veins even on a cold and frosty morning like this how do you how do you stay a part of it um well hopefully i mean obviously we've got to get well, once we've our, our last runner is tonight if if the meeting's on um and uh and then um we've got quite a bit of tying up to do and that's probably going to certainly as far as the business is concerned getting that tied off isn't going to happen till probably the end of january so there'll be plenty enough things to do around here to keep me occupied once we get to that point then i'd look to i'd like to stay involved in some way i don't mind you know i'd like to give something back to a sport that that uh that's done us well um, and keep involved and use my experience somewhere and uh, and see if we can you know continue to make a contribution i'm sure you will be highly sought after chris if there was one moment through these last 36 years that you could have bottled to take with you forever what would it be um i think it was really i think that i think it was donna viola's victory in the pre de l'opera at longchamp um the guys that owned her were very enthusiastic she was bred by uh, another owner of mine who was present we had a jolly good day and uh, and just the sort of the uh, I don't know the euphoria after it was I think probably one that we that we didn't really I've never matched before or since. I wish you and, and your family well, Chris. Thanks so much for talking to me, and, and I hope Spitspot can win tonight. Is is Spitspot going to win tonight if the meeting's on? Well, it's not part of a plan. Um, I mean, she'll run. She'll run well. She was she was taken on these horses and, and was uh, and was second um, a month ago. Uh, I know she runs like that. She should be second again. And if the fates decree, we might have a winner. But uh, we'll see. If we just go out with a good run, I'll be I'll be more than satisfied with that. And just. Uh, you know, end on a good note, not on a bum one. A typically thoughtful and measured Chris Wall, and he will be a great loss of the training ranks. Rishi, let's hope that he, he stays in the game. I really hope so, Nick. I mean, I've been a big fan of Chris Balls. I mean, so many of us have. Uh, anybody who's followed the sport for a long time will have got used to the way he operate, operated. Um, I was about to say operates, but obviously he's coming to the end of his career as a trainer. <laughs> Funny enough, I was working with George Baker last week and I mentioned, I said, you know, news about Chris Balls' retirement. He said, can I just correct you? I rang up to say I heard about your retirement. George ringing Chris Wall up and Chris Wall corrected him and said I'm not retiring I'm just stopping training yeah um, so hopefully uh, he'll be able to be a, a significant part of the sport it's been wonderful following his horses and the way he's uh, plotted his horses over the years has been one of the things I've enjoyed in the sport well we say goodbye to one training career we say hello to another in the shape of Harry Derham you've heard him on this podcast before former assistant trainer to Paul Nichols he is fast approaching his first runner or runner's with a license, Harry, when's it, it likely to be? Yeah, uh, morning, Nick. It's hopefully going to be either maybe 
the, the 26th or 27th of December. The licence has been approved, just waiting the two weeks to, to go through sort of the, the waiting period you have to go through when the horses come into training in effect. Um, so I'll get my licence granted from the 23rd. Um, so yeah, either the 26th or the 27th will have runners. And do you know what they're going to be yet? Uh, it could be most likely probably is a horse called Game Winner. Uh, could run a novice hurdle, as I say, either Boxing Day or the day after. Um, yeah, I've got sort of, I've got, I've got seven or eight ready to run before, um, ready to run before the new year. So, hopefully, between Christmas and New Year, we'll have we'll have a few nice runners. And the team betting in well. They are, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a challenge, Nick, because completely new gallops, completely new set of horses. Um, so, you know, you're, I'm trying to sort of get a gauge on the horses on gallops I don't know and things like that, but they all look really well. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of pleased with their progress, and I think the thing to do now is to run one and find out. Good luck, Harry. Thanks. Right, Harry, Derham there. Rishi, just a, a quick line on, on what the BHA have proposed for next year, trying to trim some of the fat off the top-end race programme. A couple of well-known races are no longer. What's happened here? Yeah, a couple of races have ended up going. Um, the King Richard uh, at Leicester is no longer. Um, and also the European Free Handicap at Newmarket, the one that's perhaps caused more, most consternation on, on social media since the news emerged that it's gone from the programme. Uh, originally, though, the Flat Pattern Committee, of which I'm a member, um, agreed to move the listed status of the race because it's been underperforming in terms of the field sizes in particular. Last, last or well, this year, five runners, average field size, just over seven um, in the last four or five years. And... Uh, it, you know, in terms of its listed status, that was questionable, that was debated, and that was decided to be removed. But the race wasn't removed, but Newmarket have uh, altered things. They've removed the European free handicap. I think they've, ha they've increased the prize money for one of the conditions races for three-year-olds, and they've introduced a handicap for three-year-olds 0-80 um, at that meeting. So a few changes have been made. I think the fact that the European free handicap has gone uh, from the programme book has certainly... Uh, caused one or two people to look back nostalgically on with nostalgia over the last uh, however many years. I mean, I saw your tweet yesterday. I mean, you know, I remember obviously Green Desert, etc., Mystico, um, you know, Dane Hill. Some really good horses have won it over the years, but it's been a while since Mystico won it. You know, it's thirty years ago, mm. um, and in terms of the race performing, it hasn't really done that in the last you know, decade or so. No room for rose-tinted specs here. On we move. And the BHA are trying to trim a little fat and Newmarket Racecourse uh, getting in as well. It seems to be that the season, Rishi, for curious cases, both in Ireland and in Britain. Jockey Danny Brock, we mentioned earlier in the week, has found himself in the wires and is being charged with all manner of offences by the BHA uh, involving running and riding and corruption in the sport. It's taken a strange twist, this case. Yeah, it has. Um, Danny Brock, who obviously has been accused of, of being the person uh, at the centre of the conspiracy uh, involving all the races, involving both backing and laying horses, um, he has taken the decision not to appear uh, in person because he fears for his safety, security. Um, so I, I found that quite strange. I think um, Louis Weston men mentioned it in his uh, summary uh, yesterday that you know, something could potentially be inferred from that. Um, obviously, it's up to the panel to decide, but um, the the actual non-appearance of, of Danny Brock to try and uh, 
put his case forward certainly uh, speaks speaks some sort of uh, negativity about about how it's all been presented on his part. Um, it's it's a it's again it's another sim. I mean, we look at we've seen cases similar to this over a period of time, and obviously because it involves the potential or the alleged uh, race fixing or at least passing on of information. Sorry, I should say, you know, it it, it has that sort of seedy nature to it. But you would hope that those involved would come and lay all the information out in front of you. Um, but uh, I think he applied for the case to be heard in private. Uh, last month, uh, the panel decided not to do that for the what they call the balance of justice and required it to be heard in public. Um, so it's a strange step for, for Danny Brock not to be present uh, to put his side of the story ahead. Well, some very sad news coming in from New Zealand in the early hours of this morning. Uh, young rider Megan Taylor has been killed in a, a race fall at Ashburton. The host of TV show Way In and, and the box seat racing and sports journalist Michael Guerin is with me now. Good morning, Nick. Um, dreadfully, dreadfully hard time for New Zealand racing today. It's our second loss of a jockey in four months. Now, Megan Taylor was 26. She was an apprentice jockey, so only starting her time. She was uh, she was riding in a place called Ashburton in the South Island of New Zealand. New Zealand has two main islands, and the South Island is... Um, shall we say, that the smaller of the racing communities. And she was riding in race two. There was a four-horse fall. She was contacted when on the track by another horse. And very sadly, she was pronounced dead at the track at Ashburton. So the stewards and the authorities called the jockeys in, told them of Megan's loss, and called the meeting off. A total shock in New Zealand racing because of the immediacy of this. Now, Megan was somebody who worked in the equestrian industry. She worked for Tim uh, and Janelle Price, um, who people who, who rode at Olympic level in the equestrian industry, actually in England. She then moved home and had never ridden a horse, a race horse at speed until 2019, which at her age was 22. And I've seen quotes from her today saying how much she loved the speed of racing. She wrote 16 winners in a very short time, was just starting a promising career, and that has been halted today. And New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing has reached out to her mother and said, look, we are here for you. We are here for the people in the industry. But Nick, it's going to take a long time for people to get over this. A young lady just blossoming into her career, lost in the most tragic of circumstances. And Ash Burton a small town in the South Island of New Zealand, uh, just after lunchtime, Thursday, New Zealand time. Michael, thank you for your time. Our thoughts are with you all. Thank you, Nick. Well, it won't be long until we're fully turning our attentions to the King George. We've been profiling runners, likely runners during the course of this week, and horses that won't be running as well. And it is thinning out somewhat, but it's been the target for Brave Man's game, you could argue, for at least a year. His part owner is John Dance, who, who joins me now. It's a sort of hint of waiting for Godot about this, John. It, it will come, I promise you. Boxing Day, he is going to run at Kempton if the weather if the weather behaves. Yes, morning, Nick. Uh, yes, it has it has felt like a long time coming. Um, probably something that Brian, um, part owner, myself, and um, Paul have been talking about. You know, a good few months before I even went to Kempton last year for the for the Corte Star novice. So. Um, 
you know, it's always always been on the agenda and, and, a, and a dream for us all. So, you know, what are we now? 11 days away. Uh, getting exciting now. I mean, clearly everybody remembers the success that you've had with, with Flat Horses, particularly Lawrence, and now you're building up your big base in, in Midland with, with James Horton. Do the jumpers give you as much satisfaction? Um, yeah, to a certain extent. Um, it's, it's, it's very satisfying having, you know, a good horse like Brave Man's Game running at the top level. Um, certainly through the winter when, when otherwise we're twiddling our thumbs, wishing our life away for the, for the flat season to start again. Um, it obviously helps that you've got a horse like Brave Man's Game running in, you know, grade ones and carrying top weights in, in big handicaps, etc. like he has been the last couple of years. Um, but obviously, then when you when you've got a horse at the top level, it, it comes it comes with with downsides, which are, you know heightened nerves and, and a lot of pressure at times. Particularly you know, in the case of Brave Man's Game, who's been sort of well hyped, you know, by his trainer and and you know to a, maybe a lesser extent by connections. Um, and and for a race like the King George that we've we've telegraphed for so long as being a target um, you almost keep a little bit more pressure on yourself or pressure on the horse to deliver on, on that on that particular occasion so um, yeah no it's it, you know it's good it's, it's nice to have that little bit of difference um, uh, in the game as well so uh, you know something Jess and I enjoy um, and uh, yeah obviously looking forward to, to Boxing Day. And how do you read the sort of back end of both the last season you didn't run at Cheltenham last year because of the weather and then went to Aintree and didn't run great and the previous year hadn't run great at the festival itself ran okay he ran okay but maybe didn't run quite up to up to people's expectations do you think it's a track thing or do you think it's just happenstance that it's turned out like that? Um, not necessarily just happenstance I, I, I think it's a time of the year thing to some extent I think um, as a novice hurdler I think a combination of uh, time of the year and you know maybe one of those horses that that, you know doesn't want to be in training you know right from the start till right to the end of the season which which he had been and he was a much weaker horse and I think the two the two came together um, in, in the Ballymore that year and, and obviously we were beaten by a very good hurdle at the time in, in Bob Ollinger and um, last year we we missed Cheltenham itself albeit only with about five minutes notice um, which is frustrating for Jess and I <laughs> I think it was our only trip John racing all year um, but uh, and then obviously you know another two and a half weeks later we're even deeper in the season and a combination um of of being very very ready for a Cheltenham race who didn't run in and it you know being deep into the season uh, I just you know I think he'd sort of had enough had enough for the year um so you know just disappointing and I know Paul's tried to change things a little bit this year start him off a little bit later and the hope we can go deeper into the season when you know, arguably the public perception of the bigger races are in inverted commas, um, and and the ones that you know it doesn't seem to matter what you do. Um, you know, between October and and February, it's it's March and, and early April that counts, and heaven forbid you do anything before and, and not do anything in those months. So well, well, you're you're hopefully that. I was going to say you'll you'll take an ice easy win in the King George, won't you, or any win in the King George. 
yeah, I mean, you take you take any any win in the King George, it, you know, it's, it's something of a double-edged sword to some extent. Uh, um, you know, if it's if it's an easier field, happy days, it gives us a greater chance. Um, if he doesn't win it, you, you you end up with even more knockers. Um, but you know, hopefully, if you can win it and, it and it's an easier race than it might otherwise have been, then then brilliant. You know, uh, we've won a King George. Um, the the other side of that is. I don't know. I'm, maybe I'm I'm a bit bonkers like this, but I do enjoy taking on the big horses, and, and you know, even if it's every once in a while, you know, giving them a shock, put them in their place. Um, not an easy thing to do. So you know, it's it's a, it is nice if you can take on you know the ones that are supposed to beat you and beat them. Um, you know, we did that a few times with Lawrence, and we were lucky it worked out. Um, you know, and I think it, it helps sort of cement um, horses' status, doesn't it? And if you, if you end up not taking them on via circumstance or otherwise, um, it always leaves something for the public, uh, you know, to, to sort of hang on you as, as not being convinced. All right, that was John Dance, owner of Brave Man's Game. Uh, he wants to take on Alaho later in the season and others, he's been telling me as well. So perhaps that's a, a sign that Brave Man's Game We'll uh, we'll end up in the in the Ryanair chase at Chelham. That's a long way down the road. Is he going to win the King George, Rich? Um, well, I, I'm sure he's going to run well, Brave Man's Game. But I think you and I might be on the same horse. I'm assuming here, Nick, and I don't want to always do that. But um, I, I, you know, I've loved Hitman for a long time, and I've been desperate to see him over further. I love what he did at Haydock, um, and as you as you rightly or you 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 pointed out on the podcast, um. Having Sam Tristan Davis in your sad, in in the saddle on the King George is not a uh, a bad thing considering his record in the race. So uh, I'll be sticking with Hitman in the King George. Oh, that's assuming Lon Presse doesn't run and the ground isn't soft enough for him, because um, I'll be fearful of him. Some disturbing news from Australia surrounding the band's trainer Darren Weir. Yes, <clears throat> Darren Weir has uh, admitted uh, using an electronic cattle prod on three horses. Um, of course, Darren Weir is a Melbourne Cup winning trainer. Um, he and his assistant, uh, Jared McLean, um, pleaded guilty to those charges uh, earlier this week. Um, apart from using the, the cattle prod on the three horses, um, they used a, a poly pipe to strike the horse uh, on a treadmill. Um, a, a pretty horrendous thing, really. I mean, he's obviously being punished. Um, he was serving a punishment at the time as well. Uh, I think his stable had already been taken over um, uh, in, in in the past, so it's a it's a pretty horrid situation. It's very disappointing it, it, across the board to see someone of of his stature, or to see anyone uh, treating any animal like that. But you, you're always shocked a little bit more when it's a high profile trainer involved in a in a situation like this. So hopefully, it's one that he's dealt with and dealt with swiftly and fairly. Well, it's Thursday, so we're on the road to Riyadh again with Martin Kelly, who joins me now. Uh, Martin, uh, the first first thing to note is is the the fallout from the Jason Service case and Maximum Security, who was the winner of the inaugural Saudi Cup, con continues. Uh, initially, the the rules in Saudi stipulated that should a horse um, fail any kind of drugs test or be proven to have any performance enhancing drugs, then the prize money would be redistributed. It's very complex. This case, what um, what Saudi Arabia is saying now? Well, of course, Jason's service was in court in New York on Friday. He put forward a guilty plea and we're now awaiting his sentence in May. So on the back of that, the Jockey Club released a statement last week which said 
The Jockey Club of Saudi Arabia continues to monitor developments in the USA with the ultimate aim of concluding an investigation related to the running of the 2020 Saudi Cup. Over the coming weeks, we will assess our ability to conclude this investigation, which began in March 2020, in a robust and comprehensive fashion. So that came out from the Jockey Club this week. So I guess we have to just um, sit tight over the next few weeks and see how this um, how this plays out. Yes, it's hard to see what more information can be can be garnered. In truth, in- interestingly, Gary and Mary West, the original owners of Maximum Security, before an interest was sold to to Coolmore, where he now stands at Ashford, um, have said they would be happy for their share of the prize money to be redistributed amongst the the, the placed horses. But we await news of whether there will be a a DQ and a redistribution of that prize money. Uh, interesting um, entries for for one or two of the the races on on Saudi Cup night, including. Some from Carl Burke. Yeah, Carl announcing Nick this week is going to have two runners on Saudi Cup night. Holloway Boy in the Saudi Derby and Al Karim is going to be heading for the Red Sea Turf Handicap. Holloway Boy was the horse, if you remember, was the first in 26 years to win on his debut at Royal Ascot. He landed the Chesham Stakes there and he proved that was no fluke. He went on to be third in Group 1 company at Doncaster at the back end of the season. He's got the 2,000 guineas at Newmarket as his big aim, but Carl feels this will fit into his schedule perfectly. It's on the dirt, interestingly, um, but Carl was out in Riyadh early on this year for uh, the Saudi Cup meeting and just feels the surface will suit him. He said it's not like a typical dirt surface and said we've seen what Mishrif managed to do on the surface. So Holloway Boy for the Saudi Derby and Al Karim, who Ryan Moore rode to win a, a Group 2 race on Arc weekend at Parry Longshot. Carl said if he's well at the back end of January, he'll be heading for the Red Sea Turf Handicap ahead of what he hopes will be a, a lucrative campaign in the Cup races back in the UK. News of another horse headed for the, the Red Sea Turf? Indeed, yeah, the German Derby winner of 2021. This is a Sisfahan for Henk Crew. He was due to run there last year, but he missed out due to injury. He's had a year off, come back with two outings and landed a Group 2 race at San Siro back in October. Obviously, stepping up in distance, but connections think he'll get the trip. And the UK jockey, Jack Mitchell, he's actually ridden this horse for his last three starts, and he'll be on board once again. And that will be the next start for Sisfahan, the Red Sea Turf Handicap, on February 25th. And there was a qualifier for the Saudi Cup in Japan last weekend. There was. And this is fascinating, Nick. If you get the chance, go and have a look on the Saudi Cup Twitter feed because this was the Capella Stakes. It was won last year by Dancing Prince. He won the Capella by half a length and went on to win uh, the Riyadh Dirt Sprint by the best part of six lengths. So he's done the double. Remake was the horse who won it last weekend and it was a remarkable performance. He was held up off the pace and he went through them like they were standing still uh, to win really impressively by four lengths. So Dancing Prince did the double last year. That was an automatic invite to the Riyadh Dirt Sprint and Connection said he will take up his invite and he'll look to complete the same double as Dancing Prince uh, 12 months ago. And there is more racing this weekend in Riyadh, Martin, and there's a domestic Group 1 action. Yeah, and a big name coming into town as well. James Doyle is going to be riding there on both Friday and Saturday. He's got three rides on Saturday and six on Friday. His rides on Friday include a horse who was third in the Saudi Derby. That's New Treasure. So that's race nine on Friday night at seven o'clock. That horse formerly trained by the Gosdens. He's now trained by Hussein al Swaib. And there's other UK interest in there as well. Hesselwood, formerly with James Bethel, and Powerlink, formerly with James Tate, both running there as well. And as you say, domestic group ones on Saturday. We've got the Crown Prince Cup. There's one of those for local horses and one for the imports. For the imported horses, now this is a race that you look through and recognise many names. James actually rides in that. He's on board a horse called 
Mike Frankel. He was formerly trained by Sir Michael Stout. That's race 11 at 8 o'clock on Saturday night. Big prize money as well. £215,000 is the jackpot there. I spoke to James during the week and I didn't realise he's actually been out there quite a bit. He's had six winners from 63 rides in Riyadh and he's going to be hoping to be there for some of the big days uh, leading up to uh, Saudi Cup night as well. So James is in there. We've got Olivier Pellier. He rides Don't Ask Me Again. Another familiar names include Cliffs of Fury and uh, Luganini as well. And of course, Nick, you can watch all of the action if you want to do so over Friday and Saturday. See how those horses get on. It's all available through YouTube, youtube.com forward slash at Equestrian CR Live. Martin, thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Okay, thanks to all my guests who've contributed this morning. Rishi Passad is with me. And before we go, Rishi, you've got something for this afternoon. Well, I, ho I hope that uh, Chelmsford does go ahead. And if it does, fingers crossed, spit spot, run a good race. But if it does go ahead, um, I shall be keeping everything crossed for a good run from Roman Dynasty in the last race. He's a horse that I've been following for a while now. Um, uh, he won on his debut. Uh, a long time ago hasn't quite lived up to those expectations since but there were one or two runs that suggested there's there's more there under the bonnet and i'm hoping that it might be today all right rich thanks so much thank you very much for listening that was thursday december the 15th we'll see you again tomorrow bye-bye you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the racehorse owners association and thoroughbred racing commentary. Mm -hmm.